0: Usually you should turn the volume up Hello fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify This is 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker Podcast with your host, Andrew My good friend, Everett Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like Will, how are you?
1: I'm good. I always like jumping in front of Everett when I come on the show. <laughs> Will, hi. Welcome. How's it going, guys?
2: It's it's going really well. Uh, it's going really well. Just wrapping up Sundays uh, is always like a little bittersweet. Not for me. It's the best day of the week. Right, this is your Friday morning or Saturday morning, right?
0: Kind of. It's it, it's it's weird switching. Like I mean, a
2: perfect 12-hour swap twice a week. It's not exactly, yeah, it's not exactly the same. No.
0: So, it's, you know, I guess it is kind of. it doesn't
2: matter. It's weekend for me. <laughs> I
0: don't work tonight or tomorrow <laughs> or the next day.
2: Yeah. Oh. And and then do you sleep? Do you sleep Sunday nights? Like yeah. normal sleep schedule.
0: Oh yeah. I, like today I, I got up at I I'm told I woke up at 11 to sign an offer on a house we were putting <laughs> uh so I, I I have no memory of it. Um, but I'm, I'm told that I did that and then went back to bed and I got up around two.
2: Uh, which one did you offer? Uh, a house over in Springfield. Yeah. We're, we're both looking for houses right now. So I looked at two houses.
0: I've been outbidding him on some of the houses, which is <laughs> dangerous because they're not even houses I'm interested in. It's like, we'll give you $2 million cash. That'd be then...
1: the ultimate spite thing. A spite house. Yes. Right, it's like when you bid on something on eBay that you
2: can't afford, but you're like, I'll never get it for that amount, and then you get
1: it. Gotcha. Please cancel my bid. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> I was hacked. <laughs> um yeah, so and then I'll sleep normal tonight. I'm exhausted, so I'll, I'll go to bed at probably like seven thirty, and wake up tomorrow.
2: Not bad. No, not bad. Because early for us,
0: this is an early recording time. It's only five thirty.
2: Yeah, yeah. Recording at 5 30 is a little different. We're usually much deeper into the evening. Mm-hmm. And I had Taco Bell on my way over. It's delightful. It's not early for Will though. No, this is, Will, uh, Will's recording at our normal recording time.
1: Yeah, 8 30 over here. And, and so is your is your house all packed up? Your your kids are your 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 kiddos in bed? Oh yeah, she's been in bed for an hour and a half.
2: Damn, good riddance.
1: Yeah. She <laughs> she goes down at seven o'clock and we don't see her again until 7 o'clock the next morning. That's
0: amazing. We get we get like two late night visits, usually about 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. Like he, Our our five-year-old will come in and just like to say hi and then return to
2: his bed.
1: I'm sure I'll get there eventually, but as of right now, my daughter can't even climb out of the crib yet, so I'm good.
2: Yeah, you just got to like, and, and then when she can, you get a dog crate. Yeah, exactly. Or a lid.
1: Put yeah. a lock on the outside of the door.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> if you need something, scream.
0: Or just wait. <laughs> <laughs> the sun will come up. You know, uh, improvise,
2: adapt, and overcome. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. You, Kim and I have started, you know, our kids are the age we've started thinking about, like, leaving them at the house for periods of time, you like, just, alone.
0: You just lock the door from the outside, and there's literally nothing that can
2: go wrong. Yeah, well, and they're they're smart and they're capable, but it's it's a little like odd to be thinking about. Hey, guys, if you need something, give us a call. We're going out,
0: and then you'll come back, and they will be in exactly the same place you left them. That's right. Provided <laughs> that's the batteries don't die.
2: That's what happens. That's yeah. exactly right. No, we just we just put chargers close and be like, if you need something, the charger's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, go, well, good stuff. Hey, Will, thanks for joining us. Uh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you were able to be here because the topic tonight is something that neither Andrew or I, I think, I think fair to say you as well. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Neither one of us has the chops to approach. So kind of nice to get like a pro in here.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun topic. Some of the, the questions that we have, I think, are really good. Uh, I'm sure we'll ramble on for a while. I, I love talking about what we're going to talk about. So it's going to be a good time.
2: So we reached out to you, you listening to this show, we reached out to you at home via Instagram and said, what are your photography questions with some promise to provide an answer unless we don't like the question? I think that's that's a fair assessment, right? Mm-hmm. Incidentally,
0: we didn't like any of the questions, so oh. we had to make up a list.
2: <laughs> or if we don't like you, that was the other thing. It was It was two disqualifying factors. We don't like the question or we don't like the person asking the question, right?
1: yeah we uh we have zero questions.
0: <laughs> we got some good questions from people we do not like though yeah yeah yeah. they were that was uh, they would have been cool to answer. Like, but
1: this is a reasonable question, but fuck that guy. Not gonna
0: happen. sorry
1: <laughs> or we could answer it and just give them the wrong answer. Ooh, I like that one better.
0: I like that one better.
1: Well, so uh will, I know
2: we got I don't know f- f- probably 20 questions, fifteen 20 questions. did you yep. I assume you got about two and a half times as many questions as we did.
1: Uh, i don't think i got as much as you guys did actually um i don't i don't know why that is maybe people don't trust my opinions <laughs> <laughs> on this topic
2: <laughs> Well, they, little did they know that they have to trust you actually um or, or, or that they're gonna hear your answer whether they trusted you or not uh you, you know needless to say we we did get too many questions uh m- more questions that we're gonna be able to 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 actually get to although i think we'll touch almost every single question that got asked Mm -hmm. um in 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 one way or another and and some of your questions were silly uh and we might not
1: answer those ones but
2: (laughs) for all the serious questions um i think we'll at least get to them adjacently
1: sounds good so should we uh jump into it
2: i think i think that's right why don't you fire up our first question will and and just a fair caveat Andrew and I will probably talk occasionally. Feel free to disregard any of the advice we give in favor of the advice we'll give. Fair, fair, Andrew? Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah, take
0: everything he says with a grain of salt. You can trust us. <laughs>
2: question <laughs> one.
1: All right. So I, I think I'll start off right before the first question. Um, just giving a little bit of background on me and why I'm qualified to answer some of these questions, I guess. So I've been using a camera um, to do photography in an amateur or semi-professional way for about 15, 16 years now. And watches has been probably for three to five years of that. Don't know exactly. Um, But just want to say that, you know, I'm, I'm going to give answers to these questions and there's always with anything else, there's Ten different ways to do you know one thing. So, if you hear something I say and you're like, "Hey, well, why why didn't you do it that way?" Or th- maybe there's a better way to do it. Um, you know, by all means, uh, feel free to disagree with me. But um, definitely going to try and just give a good way to do or to answer these questions as it relates to watch photography, because there's a million different types of photography, um, and watch photography is essentially product photography. So, going to approach it that way. So uh, jump right in. The first question that we got was what specs or features should I look for in a camera? And that came from uh, these are all Instagram users. So this came from watch my time. So I'd say with camera with camera bodies, um, if you're buying something that's going to have interchangeable lenses, which is probably what you're going to want to go for is with your camera body, um, you don't necessarily need to buy the best you can afford. I would buy the best you can afford with the lenses. Um, because they're going to last longer than your camera body. Um, yeah. So when you're buying a camera, what I would say is um, figure out a couple things that are important to you. Do you like to shoot in you know lower light? You know where in a higher ISO rating and how it handles that might be more important. Um, if you want to do macro photography, you know you want to get really close up in on your watch dials. Looking for something with more megapixels might make sense because then you can crop in uh, more when you're editing the image and you'll have more of those megapixels to bring that down and still have a you know a good size photo once you're done with it. So it, it really depends on kind of what your shooting style is and what you want to do. What I will say is that any modern uh, mirrorless or uh, SLR camera from Nikon, uh, Canon, Sony, Fuji, you can't go wrong with pretty much anything they make. They're all pretty solid. Olympus,
2: Pentax, I, I mean, the, the, really, they're... Apple. they're there are a lot of companies making these things. I think most people wind up in one of those three categories you named, mm-hmm.
1: right? The 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 big 3. Well, well Olympus least, is Olympus is out now. They're uh, is
2: dead, is dead, but certainly yep. there are still Olympus cameras available. Yes. And yes. Any modern Olympus DSLR is going to be fantastic. And, and, and in fact, Olympus has quite a few fanboys cuz they do some things really really well. Yep. Um you know, if if I can, I I think I'd like to just uh bulk out this question a little bit, right? Because when we talk about cameras, um, th- there's, a, there's a lot of things going on here, right? Almost everybody has a camera in their pocket mm-hmm. and that camera is increasingly good. And, and if you've bought your cell phone in the last three or four years and it's not uh, the bargain basement cell phone, you've got a really good camera. And, and what we yep. mean by a good camera is you've got a good lens, mm-hmm. you've got a good processor and you've got a, a very very small but decent sensor what we call a sensor so you're going to see high amounts of megapixels but what you don't have is a lot of real estate and so essentially you've got the same amount of space as a very small portion of a dslr Mm-hmm. uh or or a mirrorless camera in, in most instances even if we're talking about a crop sensor or a DX you've got a very small sensor so uh you can take great pictures um but you're going to miss out on some of the features that I think people are looking for when they go to a DSLR yeah uh, prim- primarily the ability to manipulate your depth of field to make a mm. very to make a more shallow depth of field is going to be very difficult to do with a cell phone so really what we're talking about We're talking about the person that doesn't want to use their camera, or doesn't want to use their phone. Excuse me, and wants to get a dedicated camera,
1: right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think uh, the caveat with that is, is the old. I I don't remember who said it, but the best camera is the one that's with you. So if all you've got is your cell phone, and you're like, hey, I got a really good wrist shot going on here, uh, you know, your phone's going to do fine. Um, It all comes down to lighting and composition. It's really really what makes a good photo. It's not necessarily the camera. Um, what I always say with, with gear is that if you know how to use your gear to its full potential, that's when gear matters. Uh, you know, outside of that, you know, it's, it's a lot of fancy buzz marketing words, you know, that most people aren't going to use half the features in a camera anyway.
0: So that's, that's kind of one of the, questions that this brings up when you're talking about looking for the specs and features and amenities that are coming with your camera where how are people supposed to go first-time camera buyers go and look at all these specs and features and tie them to where the the direction that they think they want to go and then learn how to use them
1: that's probably the hardest part um you know especially now it might be difficult to get into you know, a Best Buy or something like that to, Mm -hmm. you know, look at their camera display and actually play with them. Um, What I would recommend is I I wish that YouTube was as big of a resource when I was starting out as it is now. Um, You know, pick pick a couple cameras that are in your price range and go watch some YouTube videos on them and see what people who are actually using them have to say. You know, you're going to get the reviewers like we review watches, right? Um, And you're going to find that after you watch a few videos on one camera, you're probably going to find someone who's doing something that you want to do. Um, you know, if it's taking pictures of watches, this person's taking pictures of stuff on their desk and it's looking really good and they're able to manipulate the camera the way that they want to get the picture. Um, you know, so I would just say, watch a lot of content on something and just make an educated decision based off that, you know, cause like I said in the beginning, I don't really think you're going to go wrong. Um, you're really just trying to figure out what system you want to buy into.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'd like to also, I'd also like to suggest that you're going to, you're going to get a lot of information about what you need um, and what makes sense in terms of long-term usability. I think that we've got some obsolescence uh, in the camera industry that's pending, pending obsolescence. Um, I, I think many, many, many people, probably you included will think that the SLR, the SLR identity for cameras is probably uh, w- w- on a death now. And, and that yep. seems right to me. Um, so really the industry is moving towards mirrorless and, and we don't need to talk about what the difference is because they do really, really the same thing. With mm-hmm. that said, with that said, I think in order to get into a modern, good, DSLR with a dedicated prime lens. We'll talk about that later. Uh, with a dedicated prime lens, that you are looking at a minimum of about two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars, and so that's meant to be aspirational. I think for for someone, you do not need to spend a thousand. You right. do not need to spend two thousand, or, or, or certainly more than that. Although you can, mm-hmm. and and every time you spend money, you get more stuff, you get more features. You're going to get uh, a, a, a larger set of, of transferring capabilities, um, the ability to seamlessly edit and and integration with your existing system. So the older and cheaper you go, you're going to find it harder to integrate, harder to transfer files, uh, and sometimes just harder to do the things you want to do with a camera. But the images on a... 300, $300 Nikon D3100 or Canon D6 equipped with a 50 millimeter prime lens are going to be very, very good. The image <clears> quality <throat> is going to be almost identical to a modern camera, especially once you compress and break it down for for Instagram or, or even just snapshots on your computer.
1: Yeah. Um, and just to, I think I'll close this topic out with this kind of what I said in the beginning. If your budget is limited, what I would recommend doing is buy a cheaper body and an expensive lens. Yeah. Spend money on the yeah, lens because that will travel with you throughout your camera bodies because it's going to work with the system at, you know, through time. Right.
2: All right. Question two. Uh,
1: so this one should be pretty quick. How to avoid Instagram compression. Uh, this came from the Keyless Connection. So uh, what a lot of people see when they upload a photo to Instagram is, Hey, this looked really good on my phone before I uploaded it. And it looks like crap on Instagram. This is because Instagram tries to save space and they do all kinds of stuff to your picture to, to knock it down in size. It was also a
0: crappy photo to begin with. (laughs) Could be. (laughs)
1: Um, So what I always do, uh, and this has worked out really well for me, I found it's a good formula is to export your image. um, The, Uh, longest edge of whatever it is, so if it's portrait or um, landscape, the longest edge is uh, 1080 pixels. And then usually when you export out of something, it's going to give you a quality setting, um, you know, 0 to 100. Just don't make it 100. Usually 85 to 90 is good. You're not going to see that, you know, with your naked eye, what the difference is, especially at a 1080 pixel uh, resolution. Um, So if you do that, you should be good. It's not really going to squash your image too much, um, and it's still uh,
2: going to squash your image, but it's going to keep it's going to yeah, preserve yeah. as much you, of the detail. You won't that notice that you the can. drop
1: in in detail like you would if you took you know a twenty four megapixel image and you know threw it on Instagram. It's going to squash that down quite a bit, and it's probably going to look like garbage. So ten eighty pixels, uh, quality of ninety. Um, it's really the size. If you can't do that quality thing, get it down to 1080, and you should be good. Yeah.
2: And I, I always, I always adjust my pictures to four by five or, uh, 10 by eight as it were different yeah. editors. Um, and I think you can also go with square square is tried and true on Instagram. Instagram yep. loves squares, but you don't, you, you don't have to, you can go 10, 10 by eight or four by five and still get full resolution out of Instagram.
1: Yep. Um okay next. so <clears throat> this next question is from Ralph Man 5000 so uh Ralph's a good friend um tips for folks who shoot with their iPhone uh this is probably going to get lumped into a couple other questions so I think this is probably a good time to talk about lighting and composition cuz this is really what it comes down to whether you're shooting with um you know a big medium format camera or you're shooting with you know your iPhone 7 you know the the same things are going to apply um, to how you're shooting. So lighting and composition, those are the two most important things because you're going to get a good sharp image out of, like we talked about, almost any camera that you're going to get. So sharpness isn't the issue. Composition is finding what's pleasing to the eye. Um, there's a, You can go online and look up the rule of thirds and all that kind of stuff. Um, when it comes to watch photos, though, I would just say look at some popular Instagrammers uh, in, the, in the watch world. And see what their compositions like. Where are they placing the watch? Where, um, how's the watch laying? Is it you know is it a flat lay or the, is it on their wrist? Is it just kind of laying on a table? Um, and then where is it physically in the picture? Is it in the corner? Is it in the middle? Um, and what's placed around it? You know, there's a lot of things that we do on Instagram with watches. You know, we put props here and there, a bunch of crap we never use, um, but looks good in the picture. <laughs> but um, find that composition what looks good. What I found with watches is that um, a watch either looks really good dead center in the image, or with the dial off to one of the the thirds of the corners. I guess you'll say so. The the logo of the watch on the dial would kind of be creeping towards a corner somewhere. Um, and with that, that's just it's just a, a pleasing composition no matter what you're shooting. It's going to kind of give that you know classic product photography look that looks good um there's also a bunch of things you can read about online about just general composition you know kind of learning to see creatively instead of just i just plop my watch down on the desk and take a photo of it so just taking that extra minute um and taking your you know your phone or your camera with your viewfinder and just move the camera up down left right physically move it around and just kind of see what looks good. You know, you, you'll probably move it in a position. You're like, hey, that actually looks really good. I'm going to take my picture here. So composition is the most important thing right next to lighting. So what what you see a lot with um, watch photos online, you know, there's a flecto, you know, the, the light reflecting off the crystal. Um, and just having an evenly lit photo or a dramatic uh, lighting, which, you know, I've been doing a lot more of. Um, and you can do it, you know, artificial lighting or natural lighting. Um, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Um, I use artificial lighting for pretty much everything I do. Um, so I'll say for natural even, lighting.
2: Even your photos that look like they're, they're naturally shot. Uh, yeah. Natural light. You, you've used, you've manipulated.
1: Yep. Um, artificial yeah, I'll, I'll, lighting for those. I'll talk about that in a second because I we've got one on editing tips. So I'll, I'll definitely talk about that. Um, but with natural lighting, uh, try and shoot on a cloudy day. That's basically the world's biggest softbox is uh, nice clouds that diffuse the light. Um, you'll find that a lot of, a lot of folks who shoot, um, natural light photos, they're usually shooting on a cloudy day just because it makes everything look nicer. The lights, even the shadows are softer. Um, so if you get a cloudy day, definitely shoot some stuff there. If you don't want to spend any money on artificial lighting. Uh, with artificial lighting, it, it can literally be anything. You can take a lamp with a piece of paper in front of it and you've created a softbox. box. Um, you know, you can just use what you have around the house. You can use the flashlight on your iPhone and, you know, put a piece of paper in front of that. The, the key is diffusion. You don't want harsh artificial light coming in because it, it's just not going to look good. You'll, you'll know it when you see it. It just doesn't look right. Um, so you want to do anything to diffuse light. Uh, one thing you can do is take an empty milk jug and shine a light into that, and that makes a really nice softbox. Um, you know, as long as it's like the the tinted white kind of milk jug, you know.
2: Yeah, there's lots of folks who have sold basically milk jugs with flashes inside of them as a product. Yeah, uh, for like thirty mm-hmm. bucks, you know. Yeah. Famously, mm-hmm. a, a few of these
1: things that you see, yeah. Um, and then just uh, you know, more on lighting. What I would say is. Even lighting, you know, so if you, let's say you have, um, you know, two or three lights that you're going to be working with, uh, you can place them evenly around your, your watch and you'll get an evenly lit photo. But, uh, what I found is that doesn't really look great unless you're shooting macros where you need the light to be even, to get something close up and show a detail. Um, what I say more is bounce the light in different ways. So, Try taking your one light or your two lights and put them all on one side of the watch and then just move them around. you know, point one maybe up towards the ceiling and bounce the light off the ceiling. Um, put a piece of paper on the other side of the light so that way you do get a little bit of even lighting maybe on like the you know the other side of the bracelet, you know if your watch is laying uh, on its side. So really experiment with your artificial light, if that's what you're using to move it around and see what, you know, looks good. The whole time just look through your camera and see what is going on. Um and you you'll find things that, you know, that that are going to work good. But the biggest thing is figuring out how to soften light and how to bounce it. So yeah. if you can um, you know, soften it like I said, with just a milk jug and, you know, a piece of paper, it, you're probably going to have a better photo than 99% of other people who just, you know, put a flash on and take a picture. Do you use any reflective panels or bounce boards or anything when you're, when you're taking your shots? So, um, I shoot in my basement. Um, so the ceilings are a little bit lower and, uh, I usually always have a light pointing up at the ceiling because it, um, it's the best reflector ever. Um, I get a nice soft, even white on top of the, you know, on top of the dial or the side of the watch, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I always do that. And then, um, I have a couple, uh, just like white, like big white. Um, I don't even know what they're called. It's basically just a flat piece of see-through white material that you can use to just bounce light around, and mm-hmm. those are good for, um, uh, you know, for wrist shots if you need to, you know, get it, get some light on one side. Um, one, I went
2: one, to I went to Dick Blick and I actually bought a couple of canvases, just just board well, canvases. So it's canvas stretched over mm-hmm. cardboard and they're they're cheap they're like eight bucks i have two of those and i use those opposite uh, a south-facing window with some with some gauze over it if you know gods be blind over it if it's super bright um and yeah it does everything everything i need to do in terms of capturing light and bouncing it back
1: yeah and even just uh you know go to the arts and crafts store and get a piece of white foam board you know and cut it totally. down to size totally. if you need to if it's too big for where you're working um you know it, it's basically anything that is white-ish can bounce light. I use pieces of paper, printer paper, all the time. Um, I have some that I fold in half to kind of stand up if I need to or just move them around the watch and see what looks good. You'll be amazed what a piece of paper can do to, to change how the light is hitting your watch.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and and look at and look at folks that are doing iPhone pictures. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell when you look at a, a photo online, but uh, I know uh, aggressive timing habits uh, our good friend Bo, aggressive timing habits on instagram is using iphone for 95 percent, maybe more than that of his instagram pictures uh matt matt horanick i believe used an iphone for all of the watch pictures in a man and his watch mm-hmm. which is crazy you know because they're these really beautiful stoic and there's some heavy editing in there obviously but yeah um, yeah, there are people doing this really well. So look look at them and ask your friends, who, who's using an iPhone? Uh, and, yep. and, and see what they're doing because it can give you some ideas. You're not going to be able to take all of the same photos. Uh, and, and it's going to be some photos that people take of watches are going to be harder to do with that small sensor iPhone. I think flat lays do really well with an iPhone, that smaller sensor. Mm-hmm. Um, n- natural light flat lays in particular really, I think the iPhone can do those as well as anything else, anything else you can, you can shoot with.
1: Yep. Yeah. And so I think to, to sum this you know question up, to, cause this was specifically on how to shoot on an iPhone. Um, if you're just, if you're getting your composition and your lighting right, doesn't matter what you're shooting with. So, uh, maybe get one of those little tripods for your phone, just so you can, you don't have to hold it. Um, you can stand it up and You know, move some lights around and keep an eye on the screen, and just you know, see what's looking good. Um, Get the composition right on that little tripod, and then start moving your light around. So that's and don't uh, ever use the flash on your phone. Yeah, correct. Ever, Uh, ever. Yeah, don't don't use it. It's it's a hot mess. (laughs) Um. (laughs) So I think that'll kind of bring us into the the next question, which was uh, quick tips on editing photos on your phone, and this was from Mister Threehander. Um, there's a, a ton of, um, apps that, you know, you can edit photos with on your phone. Uh, the most popular one is probably Snapseed, which is a, a Google product. Yeah. Um, I've used that multiple times. It, it works really well. There's a lot of tools yeah. in there that you can use. You can, um, add different effects and, you know, I think it has some layering capabilities now. It,
2: it has layering capabilities and a selective edit tool, which yeah. Selective editing <clears> is beyond the scope of what we're gonna do today, probably. But yep. uh if you know what it is, Snapseed does that and it does it pretty well.
1: Yeah. Um and then it, it's got a he- it's got a heal tool, you can heal yep flex, uh yeah, specs get of dust. Dust, all yeah, huh. yeah. Um so I'd say Snapseed is a really good one. Um if you're shooting raw images on your phone, that's a file type for people who don't know. Um, there's a number of raw editors that you can get. Uh one that I've used, I think it's just called raw power. Um, that one is is really good. It's basically a kind of like Lightroom, you know, if anybody's used that to edit raw photos, it's it's a pretty good version. Um uh, I think, again
2: beyond the scope of the episode, but there are some significant advantages to shooting and to shooting and editing in Raw, even on your
1: phone. Yes, correct. Um and then uh, I will say that on, I think it's iOS 13 and up, if you're using an iPhone, uh, the Apple photo editor is actually really good now. Um, if you just need Fantastic. to make some lighting and color adjustments, it, it's perfect. I've used it before because um, sometimes when I take a picture off my computer onto my phone, when I'm posted to Instagram, I'll notice that it's, you know, maybe a little bit too dark or uh, one color was off and I'll edit it on my phone so I know that it looks good on the screen. Mm.
2: yeah i i find that um a combination of editors even if it sounds cumbersome you're gonna if you play with different editors most of them are cheap and or free um but if you uh, if you play with different editors you're going to find out what you like doing uh with that editor and and you're going to be able to Mm -hmm. to make decisions about how to move forward A a lot of times with with Photos that I shoot on my DSLR or on my or on my iPhone, I will go into the Photos Edit that made na- the native Apple Photos app do my big corrections, and then I'll go into Snapseed for for selective edits or for mm-hmm. for dust removal or whatever. So, um, and I'm not suggesting that you need to do that, but there are different approaches to this thing, and, and the more you get comfortable with your software and your tools. Uh, the more you'll get comfortable knowing how you want to move move forward.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, this will dovetail nicely into the next question, which was editing tips and prop ideas. And this came from Macro Watchman. So uh, since we're already on the topic of editing, um, I'll address this question along with uh, another one that I had, which was what, what was your editing workflow from hacking seconds? Um, so I'll just lump these two together. So, I use capture one on my computer, uh, to edit, um, all my photos, uh, everything gets done in there. Very rarely do I export out to Photoshop. The only time I do that is if I need to, um, you know, move a crown back in for like a loom shot or there was a really huge piece of dust or something that I couldn't get rid of. Um, so that's what I use. Lightroom I've used before. I prefer capture one. Now I've used both. Uh, it's just personal preference. Um, Either one you can
2: still buy capture one as a standalone program right yes
1: you don't have to buy it a, as a subscription like Adobe does with Lightroom um, they offer both a perpetual license and a subscription um you know so I think it's I think it's like 150 200 bucks something like that and I mean if you know you want to buy it not and then cheap just, yeah no it's definitely not cheap um they do subsidize for certain camera brands I think it's Fuji and Sony. Like I have the Sony version, so I can only edit photos that come from Sony cameras, but it's cheaper because of that. Um, Sure. So it's something to, you know, look into. But anyway, on to editing. Um, Really what I'm doing, and, you know, this kind of goes for photography as a whole, is get it as good as you can in camera so you don't have to do a lot of editing after the fact. Um, Most of the editing that I do is creative. It's not necessarily fixing a lot of uh, lighting issues or color problems, that sort of thing. Um, if you see a lot of my recent shots where there's, you know, some bright light coming in from the side, um, yes, that is done through artificial lighting and there was a light there, but I'm usually enhancing it and making it stand out a little bit more. Um, so that, that's kind of creative editing that I'll, I'll be doing. Um, but as far as just, you know, the, the, the basic kind of editing that you're going to do on any photo, uh, you're going to want to usually adjust your exposure and contrast, which... There's multiple tools in every editing application to do that. Um, and then make some color adjustments if you need to. Like if your white balance is off, you know, the the steel on your watch looks orange. Um, just cool down the image a little bit until it, you know, starts to look a little bit more blue and natural. Um, and I'd say that that's, that's really, you know, the base of what you need to do to edit a photo.
2: What, Will, what... uh sliders are you moving every time in when when you do your edits because i have a few sliders that i move almost every time yep um and i assume the same is true for you
1: yeah so i'm always uh touching the exposure contrast and brightness sliders um and then always touching highlights and shadows um And then the uh, clarity and or texture sliders, Um, they're called different things, but it's basically just localized contrast to punch up an image. Um, Those are the ones that I'm always touching, usually in very small increments. Like I'm not taking a slider and, you know, bumping it way out because that means I didn't get my, my exposure right. Um,
2: and and it will wind up ruining your, I mean, your photograph. Yeah. Eventually, a lot there's a lot of over adjusted photos on on Instagram, which is fine. There's a look there. It's artistic, perhaps. Yeah, it's it's creative. Um, you know
1: that, that's what I mean by y- creative editing. You know, you can you can take something and you know really make it look unnatural, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. It's creative and it looks cool sometimes. Sure. Sure. So i want to
0: i want to ask one so uh, since we're on the editing topic yeah i think it'd be worthwhile to pull a picture from the watch clicker instagram feed and it's a recent one so it's it's the heightest chronograph uh-huh let me pull it up what was your editing workflow for this picture
2: what it what is i mean I, i'm yeah maybe talk yeah. us through maybe talk us through lighting the shot because this is a great it's a great picture uh Maybe talk us through lighting. How did you get the light? How did you get the flecto? Uh, and then what did you do after the fact?
1: Sure, let I've me, got some. I've got some ideas. Let I, I want to like, pull it up. Throw my computer, so I can <laughs> see what I actually did. Okay, or so. you can
0: pull up your most recent picture. But this is this was one that I liked. So I pulled yeah. it
1: up. Yeah. So um, the lighting on this was pretty simple. So uh, it was one light off to the left, which you can see kind of in the bezel, right? It's it's lit up mm-hmm. pretty good there. Um and it was probably about perpendicular to the watch, so it was kind of shining directly onto the left because you can see behind the watch, like under that piece of wood, the shadows are pretty harsh there. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I did to edit this photo is there's uh, a couple small adjustments, like I said, made to exposure, contrast, that sort of thing, just to kind of get it a little punchier looking. Um, Now in Capture One... Um, you can add layers of different types of adjustments, and usually the layers that I'm adding are um, uh, what do you call them? Like a graduated, uh, you know, mask essentially. That's gonna, yeah, you know, yeah, that's right, you know, fade in and out. Um,
2: it's it's a mask that's gonna edit one part of the photo more than others, and there's tr- there's a transition area to the to the less edited part versus yes. higher strength in your in your graduation.
1: Yep. Um, so going through this, there's, uh, a radial mask, uh, placed directly on the dial. What I found a lot of times is, uh, if you do that and then you essentially just darken it a little bit, um, using either contrast or levels or, um, curves, if you have them in whatever tool you're using, um, it brings down the dial color a little bit without affecting, you know, like the bright parts, like the hands or the indices or anything like that. And it make, just makes it look mm-hmm. a little more natural because sometimes black
2: point black point's another common one that yeah, there. yeah yeah yeah
1: because sometimes when you add artificial light to a photo it can it can drown out the dial a little bit um mm-hmm. so i do that to a lot of them and that was done on this one uh the next thing i added is if i were to turn it off and republish this photo that watch case that's on the bottom left side of the photo would be very dark um so i enhanced the light that was coming in from the left side and I brightened up that corner of the image to m- just kind of make it look like the light was shining more directly overhead. Um, now, I could have done that by moving my light, but it probably would have affected where the light was hitting the dial and the bezel and that's something I didn't want to do. So it's, you know, it's a trade-off. You know, can mm-hmm. I can I make it look better in post-processing later? Um, and then the last thing I did is I added another radial mask that was... Um, essentially creating a vignette. Um, There's vignette tools to actually just create one, but I like doing them through masks because uh, I can place it better, you know, where I want it Um, because I usually want it centered on the dial. And if my watch isn't perfectly centered, you know, it's going to be a little bit off. Um, And then usually what I do when I do that, too, is I take the clarity or sharpness in that mask and just slide it all the way down. So it softens the edges of the image. So when when you when you do that, what you're doing is you're bringing more attention to the parts of the image that are in focus, and it's mm-hmm. going to make those in-focus parts look sharper than they actually are. That's why when you see a lot of people who take, um, you know, like a wrist shot, for example, with a really large aperture, um, which is, you know, that's a topic for another day. But the plane of focus is very small, and it's really just like the dial that's in focus. And it look you're like wow it looks really sharp. It's no sharper than any other picture. It's just that it looks sharper because everything around it is blurry. Sure. Um,
2: That's a that's a really that's actually a really next level tip because we should take a minute to talk about it, right? Yeah. You know, people use a lot of tools to add artificial bokeh. Almost all of the major cell phone makers now uh, have software that implements artificial bokeh, right? Yep. and, and that's valuable in certain contexts. I find in watches, it's less valuable to, than in portraits because mm-hmm. because the the software has a harder time detecting. But it doesn't. You don't have to add artificial bokeh. Adding softness with a radial mask, reducing your sharpness, can do a very similar thing. And and, and there's something else here that I want to point out that you've done. Um, you have created, you have created layers not in your editing, but in the actual composition of the shot, right? So the watch is higher than the platform. And then there's things both above and below mm-hmm. the plane of the watch. Mm-hmm. You shot at a relatively big aperture here. You're not going to get, you can certainly shoot in an iPhone at, at quote unquote 6.3, but it's not going to look the same as this. You've got yeah. a very big sensor and you've got a long lens. And, and so you're getting more bokeh. Uh, more out of focus. Your depth of field is shallower than you would than you're gonna get on on a, certainly on a phone. Yeah. But even even on it even on a DX or a, a crop mm-hmm. sensor. With that said, you can do these same things. You know that that bootlace or that shoelace. I'm not sure what it is on the bottom left of this photo. You can't see it, but but please feel free to go look at Will's photo of uh the Heitus chronograph. You'll see what we're talking about. By having things both above and below the watch, you create some real interest. Mm-hmm. and the texture of the platform that you
0: use to rest it on that right. it created there's just a lot of depth that that exactly somehow right, all yeah. points back to that watch
1: yeah and that brings up a good point um with watch photos specifically adding a lot of texture into the the photo itself makes the watch look better um if you were to place a watch on a white piece of paper you know it, it's super boring nothing's going to look cool but when you add you know, some old wood or a piece of rope or, you know, something that's got some patina on it, um, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, it it just makes the watch look more interesting. Um, and I, it's something I found that's very specific to watch photography. Um, you know, most other product photography, think about it, um, is really clean cut. You know, it's, everything is pristine, but even in, um, professional watch photography, like if you, if you take a look at a picture that, you know, I wouldn't say rolex because they're different um but you know like omega for example um you know amiga yeah amiga uh high-end watch photography um and some of those are renders but story for another day they have things that are not perfect in them um because i think that it makes the watch look more perfect you know hey there's a you know an old uh, pair of binoculars over here that's you know they're all chipped up and everything but you know, look at the watch that's next to it and it's perfect. You know, I think it just kind of says this is something that's tough and, uh, you know, it it looks cool even if you beat it up a little bit, you know, it's it's stuff like that. I I think that's probably why we like adding things into watch photos that are old or have a lot of texture um, because it adds that, you know, little extra detail to the watch.
2: Yeah. What's next?
1: Um, so I'll answer the second part of this question, which was about props. Uh, so kind of covered it a little bit there, uh, where you're going to just get a bunch of old stuff that you have lying around the house. You know, if you have a, a wallet that you've been using for years, throw that in your photo. Um, places like, and I'm sure this is varied a little bit regionally, but like Hobby Lobby, um, or any type of craft store that sells like that farmhouse style crap um you can usually get something from there that'll look good in a watch photo like an old piece of wood you know or something like that just anything that has some texture to it uh for props i would say is really good and then the other thing is um watch people seem to really love edc stuff so you know pocket knives pens notebooks all that kind of stuff it all looks good in uh watch photos um what I do yeah, is... and I think
2: it, de- it depends on how creative you want to get, yeah. too. You can be... Mm-hmm. you can, Sky's the limit, right? I know people that go to antique stores yep. and buy trinkets at antique stores. You don't have to do that, but but it can certainly provide some interesting fodder.
1: Yeah, and it's a... It'd be
0: a really good way to take your lady out on a date and make her think that it was just a date. That's right.
1: Well, she'll get excited when you're like, hey, I want to go to the craft store. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: you, win, win, win.
1: But uh, the antique store thing isn't a bad idea either, uh, because it's cheap. It's a cheap way to get some, some props. So, um, same kind of thing that I've been saying, look at some other people's photos, you know, what, what's in their picture that looks good, um, that you like, you know, and find some things along that same theme. Yeah. You know,
2: Alice, uh, Alice, one of the in-house photographers at Gakota, her name is Alice Curious Horology mm-hmm. on Instagram. I, she's my very favorite Instagram watch photographer. I think she also does miniatures like Mario Brothers and and video games. Um, and in in Another Life, I think she does that thing. Uh, but she does a really good job with all of these things we've been talking about. Textures. Textures. Mm-hmm. Um, and and props too. So she just has, uh, I think, a smallish collection of stuff, and she nails it. Right, the yeah. the photos she makes are fantastic. But her textures, right? She has really good texture in her shots, and even her props, even her antique store props, are really rich in texture.
1: Well, she she's really good too at just taking like a bunch of leaves and sprinkling them around the watch, and it looks awesome. Um, she's very talented. Or,
2: or rocks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think her new thing is rocks. I think she posted about that a couple of days ago. Um, but it, th- that's a that's a good point. You know, look at some people who are shooting for brands um, that you know of. Uh, you know, she she's a great example because she does, you know, their straps and that sort of thing. So they're on various watches um, <clears throat> and just take a look and see what looks good. But yeah, she's Curious Horology on Instagram. She's fantastic. Very, very talented photographer. Cool. What do we got next? All right. Uh, next is how do I do my loom shots? So the way I shoot my, <laughs> the way I shoot my loom it's a, shots. that's a hard question, right? Yeah. It, well, it it's a difficult one to answer sometimes because I think people get disappointed in how I do it because um, the way that I do it is very specific to the equipment that I have because I'm using, um, you know, my camera on a tripod and I'm using my artificial lights as strobes. So I usually have between a two and eight second photo. Uh, so the crown is obviously popped out or the watch isn't running. Um, otherwise I'd have the, you know, the blurry seconds hand from it ticking. Um, and uh, the, so I always use rear curtain sync with my flashes. So what that means is at the end of the picture, right before the shutter closes, the flash fires, as opposed to uh, a normal flash it fires at the beginning. Um, so what that allows, uh, the watch to do, or the, the exposure to do is the loom is exposing throughout that time, which gives it a nice bright glow without adding a lot of light from, uh, around it, the ambient light, um, the flashes firing at the end adds that at the very end without washing out the loom. So it takes a little bit of trial and error sometimes, depending on, um, you know, how much uh, light is just around me? I usually try and shoot them as dark as I can. Um, so that's what I mean. We're, it's probably a little bit disappointing because it's not like, oh, I just, you know, hit it with a UV light and then take a picture. Um, you can certainly do that. Although
2: that is effective. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I was going to say um, the way I shoot my loom shots isn't probably the way a lot of other people do them. Uh, the easiest way to do it is to just um, pop the crown out and. Uh, get your room as dark as you can possibly get it and hit it with a UV light and then take your picture Um, and, you know, do some trial and error. Do I need the exposure to be longer or shorter? Um, That sort of thing. Uh, The other thing you can do is if you're in a pitch black room and you want to get, you don't have another light. All you have is your, your camera and your phone, Um, pull up a white background on your phone and then, you know, do like a two or three second picture on your camera and just move the screen around the watch a little bit. It's called light painting, and you'll add some light throughout the photo without really washing everything out. Once again, it takes a little bit of trial and error. That's the way I used to do it when I first started out. Uh, it's it's effective, it works, and it's cheap. Uh, you don't need anything aside from your camera. Um, you know, or you can- And if you're- if you, Go ahead. If
2: you're not, if you're using an iPhone or whatever too, you, you're gonna have to be in some sort of manual setting, right? Uh, you know, your phone's going to automatically expose you usually on an average, you you can set it to expose a certain thing, but either way, if you expose for average or you expose for a point, uh, most of these automatic, most of these automatic apps on your phone are going to overexpose your image. So play around with some sort of manual setting. I think most of the photography the native photography apps have manual settings but also look at good third party apps too you know um mm-hmm. i use two 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 apps i use both halide i think is is how you pronounce it and filka on an iphone uh and and they're great they they do most of what i need uh in terms of manual settings so if i'm shooting on my phone uh it's usually one of those two things
1: yeah that, that's a good point you don't have to use the in ca- or the in in phone camera app you can use, uh, you know, a third-party app that'll give you some uh, SLR-like uh, settings that you can adjust. You know, where you can change your aperture or ISO or the shutter speed, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, the next question was from uh, Watches by Nick. He wanted to know how to get rid of crystal reflections. Uh, so this this is a good a good dual tip, I guess I'll say so. Before, when I said a piece of paper can be your best friend, uh, it can be your best friend for getting rid of crystal reflections. Literally, just hold it in front of the the watch face and move it around until your reflections are gone. Um, the other thing that that's gonna do is if you have uh, like applied markers and polished hands, it's gonna light those up white, which is what you want in your uh, watch photos. If you take two pictures and one of the hands is, especially with polished hands and indices uh you know they're they're dark and they're black because they're not reflecting any light and then you do another one where they are and they're lit up white it changes the whole look of the photo and it's something that's very subtle and i think if you start paying attention to what uh you know watch photographers who know what they're doing are doing that you'll start to see it in all their pictures they're always lit up um yeah so like i said piece of paper is probably the best way to get rid of that um you can use a white piece of paper, or if you're not worried about, uh, you know the, um, hands and everything getting lit up, like let's say you have uh, a printed dial and you know DLC hands or something, you can use a black piece of paper too, and that'll accomplish the same thing. But just move it around the front of the watch until, uh, the reflections are gone.
2: And I think it sort of depends on what you're shooting on. I would say the most valuable tool for me with getting rid of reflections is using a tripod right get your Mm -hmm. camera to where it needs to be and then move your lights around until you get the reflection you want move your light around move your paper around till you till you get what you need but if your camera is moving around it's going to be harder to demonstrate those things even if you're shooting on a phone get a tripod get your camera where you want it and then move the light around until you get a pleasing i've actually got a setup for macro in my garage where i use a big softbox a smaller softbox. The softboxes are the same size, but the light is bigger and smaller. One's closer, one's further away. And then <laughs> I've got a black umbrella. I've got a black umbrella that I will literally open up and hold with my hand over the entire setup. Everything's mm-hmm. so close together. You mm-hmm. know, the cameras are right there. The lights are right there. And then I'll take that black umbrella and hold it over the top. It's just a rain umbrella. It's there's not. This is not a photo- piece of photography equipment. I just take a black umbrella and hold it, and that actually helps a lot. And not in every not in every circumstance, but sometimes it's like, oh, this is what I needed. I needed this umbrella.
0: I I've done that with like outdoor shots. I will set up my timer and realize that I need to st- I I need to use me right. to adjust the light. So <laughs> I'll right. I'll start the timer on on my camera and go stand where I need to to affect the
2: light. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That that, That's right. that brings up a good point for outdoor shots too. If you really want to get outside and take some photos. And it's a bright, sunny day. Um, get one of those, you know, large, I think they're like 36 inch kind of opaque white, uh, you know, reflectors and just hold it above your watch and it'll cut the sunlight down and essentially make it a giant soft box. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you want to do with anything okay. you're doing in watch photography is create giant soft boxes. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's I mean, key. any kind of photography, right? Yep. Uh, you, you know, uh, unless you're PVC doing really like on a white sheet. Yeah, well, white sheet for sure. Uh, I, I mean, the 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 gauzy blinds that you have in your window might be the best lighting source that you could come up with, right? Because mm-hmm. you're getting the sun, you're diffusing it. Um, the sun is an infinitely big, well, not infinitely, uh, but the biggest softbox that you can get is a window with a white gauzy blind in front of it and the sun behind it. I, I mean. It, there is no substitution for that, and in fact, everybody's trying to replicate that with artificial lights because of the versatility. So, all
1: right, um, probably got time for like one or two more questions, right?
2: Yeah, maybe we maybe we we go through these and see if we've got any. Uh, like, this is a, a really good one. Uh, this is for you, Will. Actually, I think this is specifically for you and not for us. But, uh, humping jalapeno has asked, do you, Will, rue the day that you got into bed with these two yahoos? I assume he's talking about us, and that's kind of,
1: I feel a little offended.
0: I mean, I think he probably rues the day that he didn't get to be the meat in the sandwich.
1: <laughs> that, it, that, Yeah, that's probably true.
0: It's just a slice of bread. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's not a real question. We can move on.
1: But, uh, no, yeah, I I do rue the day. Every day I wake up. Um, (laughs) All right. um, So uh, Quest327 asked, uh, good macro lens for a newbie. Um, So this goes back a little bit to what I was talking about. Buy the best lens that you can afford. Um, When it comes to macro lenses, most manufacturers have a couple to choose from. Uh, what I'll say is you want the longest length macro lens you can get. Usually, um, every manufacturer has one that is between 90 and 105 millimeters. Those are the ones you should look at. They're usually their quote-unquote pro-level lenses. Um, I use, well, I, I used to use the Sony 90 millimeter macro lens, which was fantastic, and it died on me after a few years. Um, and I use a Sigma 105 lens now which is fantastic um but you know canon makes one that's a 105 uh nikon makes one uh i don't know fuji has a their their lenses are a little bit weird i know they have a macro lens i don't think it's 105 i forget what it is um,
2: well, and Fuji's primarily APS-C, right? So yeah, yeah, th- they're all th- crop. that's an important distinction. Th- that's an important distinction here because I think it's some of this depends. I have a I have a Nikon crop sensor, APS-C, which means that the sensor is sm- smaller by a degree of one point six. Um, uh, the it's the the full frame is one point six times bigger than my crop sensor right. uh, on on the diagonal. I would say. For most people shooting APS-C or crop sensor, that 105 is going to be limiting in certain circumstances. I found that a 60 millimeter zoom, uh, a 60 millimeter macro lens, Mm -hmm. gives you a very similar uh, focal plane as a a 90 millimeter zoom or macro. Excuse me, on a on a full frame. So so think about that too. If you're using an APS-C, a any sort of entry-level crop sensor camera 105 is going to be really long 105 is going to be like 160. yeah Yeah. and 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 so that's some that's just something to to factor in there yeah which is why fuji has weird which is why fuji has the weird focal length
1: macros um what you want to look for too with a macro lens is get one that has a one-to-one magnification which means that um at the closest focusing distance the image that is produced would be life-size um to to put it simply and the the reason that you want that is that there's basically no distortion so it's going to look exactly like your eyeball sees it um and it's it's going to allow you to focus a little bit closer so if you really want to get in and do those uh you know tight macro shots um you'll be able to get in a little bit closer um
0: Let's you find all the imperfections in your watch.
1: <laughs> yeah, D- don't don't go looking for those; they're there. You don't need to see them. Mm-hmm. um But so so I use a macro lens Porto for Mario Bro. Uh, everything that I shoot, um, with the rare yeah, exception too. that I, I use another lens. I would say ninety eight percent of my photos are shot with a macro lens. So just because it's called a macro lens, doesn't mean that you have to shoot super close up. You can get far away yeah. and. They make great portrait lenses too. If you know you, you want to take pictures oh, yeah, of your family. fantastic. Um, they're, they're just a really and, versatile lens.
2: And at a hundred, look, so so this is a bit of an aside, but at a hundred and five uh, millimeter focal length on my crop sensor camera. So essentially 165 or something like that, uh, 170, something like that. I have to be way far away from the thing I'm shooting a portrait of. But that does a thing called compression, yep. and, and just Google it because we're not going to talk about it. Uh, but you can get some really phenomenal portraits at a very long focal length, at 150 millimeters, especially if you're doing head and shoulders. You, even if you're not doing head and shoulders, you know, if you're, if you're somewhere where there's a bunch of crap around you and you don't want to get the crap in the picture, get a very long lens, upwards towards 200 Uh, get far away, get the person framed and you're going to reduce the amount of crap in your picture. You're going to increase your depth of field because you're now farther away. Um, or decrease, decrease your depth of field. You're going to have a shallower depth of field relative to the scene. Uh, there's something to be said for that.
1: Yep. Definitely. I use my,
2: I use my one Oh five for, for portraits all the time. Also, I would say if you're looking for a dedicated macro lens, especially to shoot watch photography and you're using a tripod, which you, should be yep absolutely should be doing you do not need automatic
1: focus no i Um, i don't use autofocus for anything except for shots
2: yep same i never use autofocus. yeah get so get into
1: manual focus and that brings up another point learn how to use your camera's manual settings also uh, and you'll be mm -hmm. much happier
2: what do we got next do we got do we got time for one more question i think
1: yeah uh, let me see what we got here. Um, so this is a, an interesting one. So tips for shooting with a DSLR after shooting on an iPhone. And this was from main <laughs> plate and bridge. Um, so you oh boy, yeah, you're gonna have some challenges moving from an iPhone to a DSLR because you're gonna have so much more control at your fingertips. So what I just said, <laughs> learn how to use your camera's manual settings and manual focus. At the, that's the first thing you should do, um, you know. Figure out how to adjust your aperture, your shutter speed, um, focus your lens, all that good stuff. Learn how to do that first, um, and then start digging into the other settings. You know, changing some things around within the camera. But, you know, the the same concepts apply. You know, it's it's down to composition and lighting. Um, but I would just say, learn about your gear the best that you can. The one one thing that I was always taught or told, I guess, is you should be able to use your camera with your eyes closed. Um, So you should be able to adjust dial settings, things that you need to adjust to take a picture um, with your eyes closed. So get to that point, and you'll find that you're gonna be a much happier shooter. Uh, You know, you you don't need to be looking at the settings to adjust things, you can do it very quickly and, you know, kind of move on. Um, But that's really just coming down to having a very good understanding of your gear.
0: One thing that I found really helped me in, in understanding that uh, was taking exactly the same picture off my tripod, same lighting, and adjusting one one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Run through the entire spectrum of f-stops, run through the entire spectrum of aperture, and, and see how each of those manipulations affect the picture independently of one another before I started trying to mix and match. That, that would be my my recommendation on transitioning from an iPhone to a DSLR is mm-hmm. thousands of the exact same picture with one micro adjustment. Between.
2: You know, I think it's interesting. I think we've got three levels of DSLR photographers in the room. Uh, And, and don't be offended, no, Andrew. No, no. But I think arguably, I'm sort of an experienced enthusiast. I've done a lot of off-camera strobe work. I think Andrew is... Uh, an experienced DSLR shooter but probably the least oh absolutely dedicated least. Yeah. and then will is a, a semi-professional or, or even perhaps a professional photographer um in in his in his own life. so it, maybe we could just each run through sort of how we sort of got to where we're going and and, and what the most important things were as we were making that development and how to use our cameras do you do you want to start yeah
0: i mean mine was was born of necessity i mean we i i had this it's my it was my wife's camera i got it because she wanted to become a photographer so we got a camera and we got light kits and we got some lenses and then it sat in the camera bag for years <laughs> and when we started this endeavor we're like well we got to start taking pictures like we got to have a couple mediums and, and and some output and that was when i dusted everything off and and Sort of relearning how to do all these things, and that was the the transition for me. It was just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the same shot, hmm. and just experimenting with experimenting with it, bringing the light kit out and set up the room to
2: be a little photo studio, and just see what you can take, do. Yeah, you, you know, and and certainly, I think for me too, it's the same thing. I, I've I've read a bunch of. Uh, I've read a bunch of online resources over the years, and, and and that's sort of what I do still today with everything I do. Is I, I read as much as I can, learn as much as I can. Not everybody has the patience for that, but I think that there's a couple of good. I'm just I'm gonna throw it out there right now. I think Strobist 101. There's a photography mm-hmm. photographer named David Hobby, and he has a series on off camera flash, and I learned so much about light. So much about light reading through that, and, and so I'd recommend that. But mm-hmm. also, you hear a lot when people are saying, "How do I use my DSLR?" and they say, "Put it in manual and figure out how to use all of the settings." Don't don't let the camera decide anything for you. Uh, and I wanna I wanna amend that because I don't think that's the best advice. I think the best advice for a new DSLR shooter is to put the camera in aperture priority mode. Yeah. If you're, this question is specifically, how do I learn how to use the functions that my camera can do? Understand what aperture is. And it's the simplest thing you would do in DSLR or manual photography is understanding what aperture is because you can see it really directly. You have a wide aperture, a low f stop number, you're going to get a shallow depth of field. And as that number gets bigger to infinity, you're going you're gonna to increase that depth of field where everything's going to be mm-hmm. on roughly the same focus plane uh, for, for a very long ways. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I have the mountains are in focus, the thing in front of me in focus, as well as the rock right in front of the lens. Everything's in focus. And you get everything in between there where you have a two-inch sheet that's in focus and nothing else is to everything's in focus. So use your aperture priority mode. And then
1: if you really want to confuse people, tell them to learn about hyperfocal distance where everything is so yeah well
2: yeah what what about you will so so hyperfocal i mean you've got a much deeper uh knowledge base than i think certainly than either one of us does but probably more than just about anybody listening to the show so so what are your what are the things you've picked up uh, assuming you've incorporated some of the things we're talking about right now.
1: yeah so when i started um with my first dslr What I did was, um, you know, like I said, this was really before YouTube was an educational resource like it is now. I don't even know if it existed, may have, I don't know. Um,
2: 2006, I think, 2006.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so it was probably just starting up. But I I didn't use YouTube, uh, you know, for for education. Um, I would go down to Barnes & Noble and buy a photography book. I, I went almost every week to Barnes & Noble to buy a photography book and learn about something different, you know. They still make photography books, obviously, but you know, there's a multitude of topics, you know, I'd buy one on, you know, shooting in black and white. Then the next one would be editing in Photoshop. Then the next one would be shooting portraits. And through just reading about different types of photography, you start to you know learn all these things and you learn something and you, you go try it and you're like, Hey, that works. Okay. Let me dig a little bit deeper. And you, you know, it's like anything else you get in a rabbit hole. Um, So that's how I started. And, I started not by shooting watches uh, or products of any sort. I did landscapes and architecture for, you know, over 10 years. Um, and, you know, it was, I think I've talked about this before, but it wasn't until, you know, kind of getting cooped up inside a little bit more of the family where I was like, why don't I take pictures of watches? Um, and, you know, that was basically like learning it all over again. Um, because it it was artificial light instead of natural light outside. And it was shooting in a studio as opposed to being on a, you know, trail hiking somewhere and taking a picture. Um, so just constant education I think is really important. Um, no one's ever the perfect photographer. No one's ever going to know everything about photography. Um, trying different things and learning about different things, uh, from different resources I think is extremely important. You know, YouTube is a a great resource now. Go on there. The Strobist is great. I also kind of, quote unquote, grew up on the Strobist. Um, And there's a ton of other websites. You know, just just check out some of the photography blogs and, you know, check out the resources that they offer.
2: There's no quick fix, right? You got to jump into it. You talked about editing and layers. Mm -hmm. And I think photography, like many things, right? Like piano or reading or writing. Um, any skill that is, th- this is, there's a lot here, right? You are not going to learn how to be a photographer in a weekend or a month or a year. Um, you, you may become proficient at certain things, but there, the amount of shit you can learn is huge. And I feel like very much I've incorporated, a, a editing by layers to my own photography skills, right? I learn something and I play with it. And then I learn something else and I play with it. Mm-hmm. And all of those experiences add. They It's just add. And then eventually, you know, you're, you're someone like Will and you've got all these layers and you're able to pull that information out. You've got to do that with photography. You're not going to learn
1: it all today. Yep, Absolutely.
0: I just have one last question. When are your books going to open back up for boudoir photography?
1: <laughs> for you, they're always open.
0: Andrew's been
2: Andrew's been shopping negligees.
0: I I have been, so I got some special ones for you.
1: Bring it on! (laughs) I'm ready. I'll get the macro lens out.
2: It's it won't do any good. (laughs) You will need it. You will need it. (laughs) It won't help. Is 105 the longest you
1: have? Uh, No, I've got a two to one macro lens that can double the life size of anything. So that'll really help.
2: Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah, Yeah. that's a a good. Let's do that. It'll still be modest, but let's do it. Will, is there anything on photography Q&A that you want to add right now?
1: Uh, all I'll before say we move on? is that uh, I know there are a couple questions we didn't get to, but if we missed your question, uh, feel free to message me on Instagram and I'll happily answer it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Or become a patron and join our Discord server where you can have real-time access to a Q&A channel that Will respond to at least daily. I forgot we had that. <laughs>
1: I like hopping in there. It's fun. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, it's good. I, the questions are good too. I mean, r- meaningful questions, a- and the information the information has been valuable. I yep. think
1: uh, so. In addition yeah. to a multitude of other channels that are lots of fun,
2: Andrew. Other things. What do you got? I got a new watch. What? That's not another thing.
0: No, it just it's felt like announcement time. Okay, <laughs> I agree. I got a new watch. I took delivery of a Monta Atlas on last week. Yeah. No, when, Wednesday. No, Thursday. When, yeah, it was last week. It doesn't it's matter. A week,
2: a week ago, a week ago from the time you're hearing this, Andrew took delivery of a brand new
0: Monta Atlas. And it is because we talked about this a couple times, that I hadn't made any any significant acquisitions over the last year, because I was putting it aside for something special. This was the something special, and I gotta say, I was a little bit a uh, little bit stressed after I hit that that purchase button, and all the like that that wave of emotions of like, is it gonna be worth? Is, is it worth the money? Am I gonna get the enjoyment out of it that I think I'm gonna get? What am I doing? I got it. I put it on, and they were all relieved. I'm in, absolutely in love with this watch. Perfectly sized. The only thing, I have one complaint, and this is kind of like a, this is a weird complaint to have. This is the, far and away, the best bracelet I've ever worn. It's so adjustable, though, that I'm having trouble getting it just right. Yeah, they mm-hmm. really
2: fucked that up. They, they made it way too nice. It, so, it's I've been mistake. fucking with it
0: since, I mean, I, I'm adding links, removing links, changing the micro-adjustments. And usually a bracelet, it's like, okay, I take out you know two links on each side, pop a micro adjustment in, and we're good to go. But I I adjust this bracelet every single day. So have you, you tried
1: know, you... putting both of the half links on the same side?
2: No. Try
1: that, because I found that with Monta bracelets, if I put them both on the, if you're looking at the bottom of your wrist, the right side, I was able to get a perfect fit. There you go. Because li- both of them together, I think, are a little bit longer than a full link. Yeah. Yeah. Try that because that worked really well for me. I, I might do f- that.
0: I also found using the micro adjustment mitigated the length of the clasp. At least it's, the, in it's the, a long clasp. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a long clasp. But using some of the micro adjustment lets part of the links run over the end of the clasp mm-hmm. on the, on that adjusted
2: side. And that mitigated some of the, of the length of the clasp. I think it's worth to say. I think it's worthwhile to say. So I'm a speedy owner. I bought a speedy after I got hit by a car and got a giant settlement uh accepting that watch this is the most expensive watch either one of us has Mm -hmm. ever bought will you're not included in that because you've bought some very uh nice watches watches. (laughs) blue watches Uh, (laughs) you, you know when we when we posted the new watch alert for this justin from monta who's a good friend of ours uh came in and said finally kind of winky winky uh saying you know because we've been very vocal we really love these watches we've had a number of them in in uh we've had them for review and within the watch cooler
0: family i think we've had the whole lineup
2: but mm-hmm. i think it's i think it's worthwhile to say for either one of us this is the most expensive watch we've bought excepting the speedmaster mm-hmm. uh and that's because it's a big purchase you guys look you do not have to spend nineteen hundred dollars on a watch to enjoy watches when you do, it's special. And, and I want to say, Andrew, you didn't just buy this. You didn't just make a decision one day. No. You've been actively saving for this watch. For not a, on a year. For almost a year. Yeah. That's right. Which means you're not taking money that could be used for sports. Uh, or you are taking a little bit. But you're doing it in a, in a way you communicated with your wife. And I think that's sort of how we approach the hobby. Mm-hmm. This is a huge purchase for you uh yeah. and, and i mean for anyone this is a big purchase and i yeah. think for me for me as i sit here it makes it more special this is something you knew you wanted mm-hmm. you took a lot of time you saved money it wasn't an impulse buy and i just really love that aspect i think that's how you collect watches it's how i collect watches uh, and i'm just <laughs> <laughs>
0: well in, in, in the weeks leading up to this purchase i tried to get you guys to talk me out of it
1: I'm never going to talk you out of buying a watch. On
0: on multiple occasions I tried to I tried to be talked out of this watch, but I couldn't it just there was nothing to nothing to push me back onto the ledge. But I I love it. It's terrific.
2: Congratulations. It's beautiful. I'm really happy for me you. Me too.
0: So now for my real other thing. Uh so we watched uh, a, a couple movies last week. Uh, me and my wife and neither of them were very good, but they weren't bad either. And the one I want to talk about is The Professor and the Madman. And it is um a 2000 what year was it? A 2019 movie starring Sean Penn and Mel Gibson. And it is the story of Sir James Augustus Henry Murray and ooh I don't remember his, the other guy's name. Uh, it doesn't matter. So this is the story of the Oxford University Press Dictionary of the English Language, and it was—it's the tale of these guys trying to capture the entirety of the English language, the evolution up to that point, and they were their goal was to take each word, source it through history to the origin of the word talk about how it has evolved and how it has gotten to where it is and they sent and is such a vast endeavor that they sent out these leaflets throughout the english-speaking world and said hey we need you to help us read books from these centuries and find weird words so that we can create a a tale of these words and i didn't realize like i just sort of figured the dictionary just happened i never really gave thought to the endeavor that A dictionary with those kind of footnotes and citations would be and it was a cool story and a a largely true story from the movie's perspective um that was the most interesting part of the movie to me was learning about the story and then the subsequent research and learning that i did the movie itself was i didn't check my watch
1: it sounds like something that uh someone would do in quarantine
0: yeah Oh, he was. So, so the guy, uh, I'll, I'll look up his name real quick, because uh, he's a significant,
2: uh, part of the story. Um, you know what my favorite words are? My favorite words are diarrhea. That's a good one. <laughs> onomatopoeia. Is diarrhea onomatopoeia? I don't think it is.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Uh, William, William Chester Minor was the, uh, Was the guy who was in a uh, mental hospital, and when you're in a mental hospital in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it's not a great place to be. That's rough. (laughs) Not to say it's good now, but it was not good then. Uh, And he found this leaflet. He was suffering from severe schizophrenia, uh, and he was just locked away in his room reading books. That's all he did. He just read books, and would um, the uh, they they gave him credit for like completing 400 years of citations like four centuries of citations from his weird library that phenomenal he was responsible for so phenomenal yeah cool movie and an interesting movie it's it's a good time burner if you're looking for something not really light not really heavy just kind of something
2: it's a good thinker solid i got another thing do me i just finished a trilogy a book trilogy which i read and did not listen to So, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, or Le Guin, perhaps? Le Guin. Le Guin. Le Guin. Uh, fantastic science fiction writers. Miss Bean. Probably, probably my top five, one of my top five, uh, science fiction writers of all time. She published kind of late in her career, um, a trilogy called Annals of the Western Shore, uh. And I've just finished up the trilogy, so I've read all three of these. I don't read them back to back to back. Um, but, I, but I do sort of try to get through the trilogy. And so good. So this thing is listed as a young adult YA trilogy. And I suppose it is. I think uh, a young person could read this and really enjoy the crap out of it. But these stories are so good. So, so good. And uh, thoughtful uh, you, you know she does a really good job of breaking down the human experience in a science fiction world um you, you know that feels very foreign but also very local uh just really wonderful so i finished this actually last night i finished the third book and i i didn't cry but i perhaps got something in my eye for a second uh you, you know it ties it together there are three different There are three independent stories, but tied together, um, sort of like Fargo, the series, uh, where it's the same universe and you've got, you know, oh, well, that's that guy from this season. Uh, The same thing happens here. Just really good. Uh, You you know, talks about servitude and loyalty and devotion and the decisions we make and the way our brains change with experience and freedom and liberty versus... uh, community and um corporation really really excellent and i'd recommend you read it i won't tell you i'm not going to tell you a darn thing about any of the books except that they're fantastic
0: wow not even a premise
2: the premise is that each of the characters has a power so it's a superhero book a little bit it's (laughs) x-men very very similar to x-men okay Annals of the Western Shore, totally phenomenal. Also, will just just for your situational awareness, I also started Blood Meridian again.
1: Excellent. Last night, got got you back on the Cormac McCarthy kick.
2: You did, yeah. Our conversation, I was like, I need to know. I think I need to read
1: uh, No Country for Old Men
2: again. Ooh, yeah. I've read that in the last, I think, three years. So I, I felt like. Blood Meridian, I'm pretty sure I read Blood Meridian in in high school. So it had been long enough that I was like, I don't really remember what happens. It's going to feel fresh. I think they made
1: a crappy movie based off the book.
2: I don't think so. I looked at this. I don't think they ever made a movie. So it's very violent. It's very, very, very violent. But uh, they've started, I think, three different times. Most recently, James Franco was developing it, and they had some licensing issues. So. Uh, it would be a totally wonderful movie very violent but wonderful so hopefully they
1: do that yeah too. it is listed on Wikipedia under attempted film adaptations
2: that's right so. <laughs> that's right I've just read this which is why which is why I know that
1: uh, other things well what do you so have? I have uh, an Instagram page uh, it is called VCR world now that sounds incredibly boring Um. <laughs> but it's actually pretty interesting so it's this guy that uh i assume he's a graphic designer of some sort but what he does is he creates um vcr boxes like actual boxes he makes them of modern movies and then also recreates um you know movies that were on vhs uh, and, and how he would want them so I'm looking at the page right now. Like he's got a VCR box for La La Land, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, Django Unchained, Donnie Darko, yeah,
0: Seth Rogen and Ghost. This is incredible. But what's
1: cool about it is, you know, he makes them. He doesn't just like take, you know, the the poster and put it on a VCR cover. He makes his own how he would want it to look. Um, But then he he patinas the VCR case. Um, He makes it look like it's been used so it's not, you know, just a fresh vcr case like it's got the corners are all rubbed off and it's got, you know, cracks yeah. in it and stuff. It like This
2: Interstellar rental rental box is totally phenomenal. Yeah, they are just I don't know, they're uh, so good. J- July 21st. Fantastic.
1: The mid-somar uh one is really good. But he, he's just The super bad one. He's just Oh my god. incredibly talented. Um uh it's gosh this is really it's good. just an interesting passion project you know like I'm gonna just start creating VCR covers <laughs> you know it, it's, yeah, it's right. an interesting We're thing weird. to take up but it I highly recommend checking it out um, it's just really cool fan art you know putting it in an interesting medium you know you're never gonna buy a VHS of these movies because they don't exist but I think you can buy the covers I think he sells them you know if you wanted one from your favorite movie or something
2: the Uncut Gems NES uh, NES game. Yeah.
1: Dude, this is fantastic. Yeah, it's just a... Uh, man, he, I've
2: never he, heard of this. He even
1: has
0: a
2: membership card.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just a good nostalgia kick. You know, he's got some old NES yeah. stuff, and there's like an Atari thing somewhere. Um, yeah, it's just really cool.
2: Well, Will, thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. And, and, and actually contributing something this time I know. Was. It's the first That's time I've actually provided in
1: itself. actual input. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's the first time you've not been a drag on the show
0: I yeah would say. definitely there was also no clicking yeah that's right that's you right let me to get some
1: real quick it is i mean specifically... this is the watch clicker podcast
2: yeah <laughs> that was mike's excuse last time yeah. was it no oh. <laughs> will oh anything God. you want to add before we before we shut it down no here? i'm
1: good it was fun coming on um I, you know i love talking about photography this was so this was fun
2: a- Andrew, what about you?
1: I'm all out of things.
2: <laughs> you're so you're so lost? I'm so lost. Well, hey, thanks for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. Check us out on Instagram at 40and20 at Watch Clicker. Also, go to the dang website, watchclicker.com. That's where we post all of Will's wonderful reviews. That's where we post all of our columns, uh, things about watches, things you might want to look at. If you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Really, you guys, that's where we get all the support for hosting and hardware and software. And it's not an insignificant amount of money at this point. And don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.